All right, so here we are. Uh, we're looking at Philippians. Um, we're in chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. 1 through 9. And I'm looking around, and we have one pastor present, right? And he's younger than I am, so that means I have, like, super liberty here. <laughs> right? No? No, that's right. He's church discipline. It's coming, I think. Okay. So, um... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a little bit of a, a Doug Pearson and an Ed Payone. I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna move out of the text and then come back to the text. See, Doug gave us a little aside on the importance of reading scripture. Yes, and I think Ed was just going back and he wanted us to know how bad Paul suffered. Something along those lines. Sorry, Ed, if I don't get it exactly. So, Paul says it. I mean, yeah, Paul says in chapter three. So we're trying to, I'm just going to try to set a little bit of a stage as to the things that Paul drops on us that are huge statements, okay? So I pulled one out, and he says this in chapter 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. So he's, something is surpassing everything that he would have had there, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So basically, Paul, you know, we're told the rest of the way, he gives up what would have been super Jewish cultural status. He was a top, top Jew, headed to be wealthy, headed to be well-known. When he was in the marketplace or he was in the synagogue, it was like, whoa, there he is, you know. Um, sort of a... What's that girl's name that was been attending the NFL games? It's just sort of a Taylor Swift thing. Where's Taylor Swift? It would have been like, where's Paul? Actually, his name was Saul. I think you get it, right? So he would have had a life of ease, comfort, and luxury. He would have had a nice house, probably set up with a sweet retirement plan. And he gives it all up. All for knowing Christ. So there is something in that phrase, knowing Christ, that's huge in this guy's life. And he doesn't regret it for a minute. And he's already imprisoned for it. He's already beaten for it. He's already misunderstood for it. He's already kicked out of every synagogue he can imagine for it. And he's still glad because of that surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Here's a quote from A.W. Tozer. He died in the 60s, kind of a, a well-known, uh, respected author um, and pastor. And he's going to say something along the same lines here. Um, he is actually going to make the point that what was lost in the fall was our communion and our God awareness, that connection with God. You know, we like to say we're separated from God, but this kind of gets down to exactly what it is. Um, and he's going to make that case uh, and, and actually say that that's what all of salvation is actually pointing us toward. The reason your sins were forgiven was so that you could know God again. See the knowing Christ, just following that word? The reason that you're being justified and made like him is so that you could know him better. That's the goal. That's what he's going to point out. Listen to this quote, and hang on because it's a little bit long. Um, he uses Absalom here. Absalom, 
Remember, he was David's son. Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Though the king was his own father, are there not many in the kingdom of God, he's speaking about Christians, who have no awareness of God, who seem not to know that they have the right to sit at the king's table and commune with the king. This is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is a hard and grievous burden. To know God, this is life. This is the purpose for which we were created. The destruction of our God awareness was the master blow struck by Satan in the dark day of our transgression. To give God back to us was the chief work of Christ in redemption. To impart himself to us in personal experience is the first person of God, I'm sorry, is the first purpose of God in salvation. All other steps of grace lead up to this. So do you see what he's saying? All the, all the times that we turn from sin, all the sins that we're guilty for and that we're made clean and washed is to reunite us with God. We, we know that deep in our fabric. That's why when people come to Christ, they are overwhelmed with love and peace and joy because this is what we were made to do. And Paul is putting that forward even in this letter. That's what all the letters are driven for. And I believe that's what he is saying is that Nothing is greater than this in life because I am reunited with the one I was made to know and interact with from the very beginning. The reversal of the fall. To continue through this life and then the next life busts open unbridled, knowing God. I use the word commune just to define it a little bit. Uh, it's more of an old be Puritan times or old Christians use it. To converse or talk together usually with profound intimacy, interchanging thoughts and feelings between us and God. In the scriptures, we find some phrases that kind of fit this would be, there's a phrase that's used often, the fellowship of the Spirit. Knowing Christ or knowing God or walking in the Spirit. So as we move forward through this text, though, I'm probably going to just be kind of slanting back at that theme because that is a primary part of what we're doing. So, now to Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. Let me pray first before we do this. Father, we just thank you that you have opened the eyes of our heart. You have given us a spiritual knowledge and wisdom that we might know you again. You paid a great price. You gave your son that we might know you. Thank you for that. Help us to see you more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Philippians 4. I'm going to do a first reading right through it, then we'll come back and hit some things here. 1 to 9. Just let me say this leading up to this. There's a little bit of a theme Paul picks up. He's going to mention the word a couple times, the word peace. He talks about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. He talks about the God of peace at the end. But in some verses, he doesn't, it's actually a little bit of a theme right here. He doesn't actually refer to it, but it is transpiring. 
So, in, in, and I'm just kind of priming you up so when we read it, you'll be like, ah, there. So, in, in one case, there's these two women in the church, and it seems like there may be some disagreement. Well, there definitely is some disagreement. And Paul asks that they agree. See, he's trying to bring them back into a peaceful relationship. Um, in another place, it says, yeah, you wouldn't pick this up in the English. Let your reasonableness, in, in, in verse 5, be known to everyone. And what that word reasonableness is in the original Greek, which I'll get back to, is really like this word that they would have used that meant gentleness. And the direct context of that word was responding to hostile speech. When someone was like, oh, man, and the responder, instead of escalating with them, would respond in a gentle way. You would use that word. Oh, they responded gently, but it had that connotation to it. So again, there's peace. Someone is escalating to non-peace, and then the speaker keeps it low and gentle, and then that's how that fills in. So let's read right through it. And actually, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I have who I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, Paul is just saying there that he loves them and he's going to stand firm. And that's all I'm going to deal with in verse 1. Don't worry, they won't all go that fast. Yeah. Verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your, there it is, gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, there it is again. Okay. Back to verses 2 and 3. I entreat Yodian and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He puts that in there. So he is trying to say these two women are Christians. They have labored with him personally. And now it is, he's, he is pleading with them that they would agree. It is, you know, all the commentators agree here that the bond of peace has somehow been broken. It's not told us what is the actual issue. It, was it personal outside the church? Did they have a little run-in? Are they neighbors? We don't know. Was it because they both served in the same 
nursery and one wanted to put the soap on this side of the sink and one on that side of the sink. No, I mean, they're silly little things. Or was it just doctrinal? We just don't, we just don't know. But it's on purpose. Paul could obviously put it in there. But their hearts are cold toward each other. Bitterness has probably entered in. When they see each other across the church, right? ah, there's what's her name. I'm going to go this way. Now, here's the thing about that. I, I've had that, and I have that at times, you know. And, and for a lot of my Christian walk, I thought it was normal. I thought it was okay. I got people at church I really don't like. So what? I got whole groups of people at church I don't like. That community group, this community group. It's wrong. It's sin. Bitterness. Bitterness is that bad taste. Get it? Bitter? Bad taste? Bad taste in your mouth concerning someone or ill feelings toward them. And you might go, ah, come on, everybody does that. Ah. Paul says in Ephesians, and actually bitterness is a word that shows up a lot, let all bitterness be put away from you. Bitterness is cancerous, and if active in the church, it will destroy it. And that's why he appeals even to those who are with them. When, when we see that, and even, you know, usually when I teach this, it, 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 I'll get more into forgiveness, because that's what it is. Whatever you observe in someone, now they may have offended you directly, and then you're like, you know, I don't like them because they, yeah, they slighted you in some way, and we do it all the time to each other, Right? Or it's just something you observe from a distance. You know, you just don't like the way they walk and talk or dress or something, you know? And so it doesn't have to be a direct offense. You're just, ju you're just judgment. So therefore, you have ill, a bad taste in your mouth for them. But it, but it is an unacceptable standard in practice. You know, there's um, uh, this one book we read a while back. It was called um, Respectable Sins. And one of the one of the one of the uh, you know respectable sins was this bitterness because in culture it's just fine. I mean, you know, Eagles fans hate Dallas fans. Not if you're a Christian. Not so. It just doesn't happen, right? So and and in this book, you know, tied to bitterness is this other cultural accepted and then also therefore cultural accepted in the in the church is gossip, and gossip simply is. The sharing of any information, even if it's true, that pulls the, your image or view of the person down that you're talking about in the hearer's ears. That's it. That's gossip. It doesn't have to be made up bad stuff, because that would be slander. But gossip is just the, oh, did you hear so-and-so? Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Oh. And they walk away going, oh, you know. There, there's a story, it, it goes back uh, years now, um, where... Uh, because I just haven't somehow got a hold of the full report um, where a church, you know, had a basic blew up, people going in every, every direction, you know, sad, very, very sad. And, um, you know, they brought somebody in, an outsider, to just kind of go through what happened, you know, review. And he went and he interviewed everybody who had left and everybody who was still there and put up this exhaustive report that was a main thing. I'd never seen anything like it, you know. And I was flipping through there, and one of his primary conclusions was what had damaged terribly this church was gossip. 
the sharing of information about someone else that brought their view down, that brought the view on others. That's how sad it is. It really is. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So this is a, um, actually, I'm going to jump ahead and I'll come back to this. This thing about joy and rejoicing in the Christian, it is actually supposed to be more the mainstay of our attitudes. Joy, rejoicing, because we're in the Lord. We're saved. We're reconnected with the very core fabric of what we were made to be humans in the purpose of our life. We're reconnected with God now to live out the rest of our life here on the earth. So that's supposed to be like, whoa, all right, that's a good day. Yeah, that's every day. Have joy, rejoice, right? So here's some, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, got some, I went through this with Chris. She goes, well, you got a lot of quotes. I pulled a lot of them out there, right, honey? Yeah. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this guy, um, he was hanged when he was 39 in Germany. You know what I mean? And, and it was actually a little bit, I don't want to go into the progression, but he, he's a respected theologian. So he says, concerning Christian joy, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. You know? So we, we are not the stoic, gloomy neighbor, co-worker, criticize, complain, all that stuff. That's not us, Christians. That's the old us, the new us, reconnected with God. It's full of joy. That's the default mode. Now, I'm not saying if a relative doesn't die, you know, that mourning might overtake that for a little while. But in general, the people at work should be going, I don't know why that guy's always smiling. You know, the sky's falling. It's raining outside. Why is that guy smiling? You know, and then when you smile through hard times, let's just go through a little experiential thing, though. Common experiences of internal joy, just so we know what it is. So maybe some of these will resonate with you. A new baby is born into the family. The Burtons. The Palins. I'm sorry. I I got it in there. Just had a new grandbaby. Little Sal. Now, was that like a joy thing? Yeah. So... But, but no, the reason I'm saying that, it also has this deeper sense to it too. And so to resonate, what is it that he's talking about when he says rejoice? So ha- experientially. Uh, Christmas is coming if you're a kid. Makes everybody a little happier, you know, you get right there. Um, yeah, I was going to, no, I'm going to keep going. Uh, I thought of something funny. Our team won the championship. There you go. How about, you know, it's like it's, over, they're running down the court, and we won. We really won. You know, or maybe if, I hope it happens in your lifetime. I really do. Yeah, I really do. Our vacation plans are coming together. You know that feeling? Now everything's booked, everything's done, and now work is, uh, you know, work's winding down, and you can actually taste it. You're like, yes, that's joy. That's rejoicing. Uh, New friends. Just that, oh, great, met these people, this kid, whatever. Here's one for me. Winter is ending and summer warmth is right around the corner. Yes! I don't mind winter, but it's just the length of it. The gray, 
the dead, the dead of winter, the gray skies, the dead trees, dead grass. Joy in hard times even, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off, he goes on, from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And he says, yet I will rejoice, not necessarily in that, in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know, and Kyle made this point, I thought it was a good one, might have been in small group though, but he felt that when he was reading through this, he got to that point there, and if you're like me, the whole thing, you, you can wake up, and that's when I'm having the most struggles usually with everything. So, but he said he was reading through there, and, and he said that he felt the Spirit impressed on him that that take joy was you have to take it because it just isn't going to flow in with the breeze. you got to just go for that, remind yourself, call out to God. Actually, it's become one of my main prayers for myself and for my family is, God, fill me with your spirit. Because what happens? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Who doesn't want that? That's the best possible life we could live and experience. You know? And sometimes we're worried about, oh, but I don't want people to think I'm a Jesus freak. Now, look, you will be connected with God. Let's just, just stop right there and don't worry about that. He will walk with you. This is not a fake happy, not a superficial happy, but a deep happy because the God of peace is with you. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So then I hit that word a little bit already, that your gentleness be known. So that means wherever we are, we are in a, a, a society, and it hasn't changed. It's been that way in most all societies, that is one that has strife, bitterness, aggravation, frustration, all of it. And do you ever notice when those are the experiences of a people, what happens? It comes out their mouth, right? Because that's what's in their heart. But if we're the ones who are in the group that have the gentle answer, and that's what we're known for, because we're bringing peace, we're bringing ourselves out of that and the people around us. Here's a common list. You know how this is for a spouse, or I guess it could be any family members, really. There could be a little tension in the air. Actually, just one could be aggravated. And, and typically, if there's a conversation in that particular time, it can be like one of those fast back and forth, what just happened, you know? Respond with a quiet gentleness and just watch, you know? Because even if your spouse, like, I'll be all irritated or something, you know, and if I blurt something out, you know, and Chris comes back with that, you know, honey, it works. The fruit of the Spirit, it works. Or one of your children has done something for the umpteenth time. Respond with quiet gentleness. I'm not saying don't be accurate with what you say, but don't escalate it. Or you're in a political conversation. 
We know how to go right to 10 with those babies, you know. But I'll tell you this. So, so I've been asking God for a few years now to, to help me understand political things as they pertain to God and all that stuff. And he has done a great job I, in filling in. I just didn't know. I have had more political conversations that have accomplished more for the truth of God since that time than I ever did making my boom points. Because my words in their gentleness, though, were quiet. And they were irrefutable. Or, or not, I, I don't look to actually hurt anyone now. I look to make them possibly think another way or just move them a little bit. It's not like, oh, abandon your party if you have one. That's a whole different story. I don't want to get into this. Um, I think you know what I mean. Okay. Or that relative or friend who keeps bringing up the same old troubling rhetoric. I think we all know what that is. Respond with quiet gentleness. Or in that typical complaining, acidish talk at work because no one wants to be there. Respond with quiet gentleness. Proverbs, a gentle answer turns away wrath. That's our job. We are the peacemakers. Moving ahead. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's this phrase, the Lord is at hand, and there's been great debate over this. I don't know if you guys know, the most debated probably thing in this chapter right here is this phrase, the Lord is at hand. Some feel that it belongs to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. For the Lord is at hand. In other words, he's going to come quickly and judge maybe if not. Others feel, including John Calvin, that the Lord is at hand here means something instead of chronologically quickly coming, spatially. He's right here. He's as far as your hand. Because, and actually I think the ESV people slant on that side too. John Calvin, that, that's where I think it, I mean, I'm just doing a little bit of plain reading, but they even put the semicolon in there. That attaches it to verse 6. And it makes sense. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, why shouldn't you be afraid? Because he's right here. Do you get it? That's the foundational start of anxiety. And if you're like me, like I know anxiety real well. Really well. I, just the, 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 the history of it. But I have a thing. It's kind of universal. Some people are going to have different levels and different kinds and things like that. But I, I just know it well. And Wow. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me hit one more thing on, on the, that why I think it's the Lord. I just see my, my note here. Paul is likely referencing that. Because it's also like an Old Testament theme. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. That's part of the text, right? Don't have anxiety. None. Fear not. For I am with you. You see the connection? Do not be anxious about anything. In the New Testament alone, 
I think it was New Testament. I, I, I just started looking up, fear not, do not be afraid. I, I think there's the only two phrases. I, do not be afraid, that general theme over 70 times. It wasn't until I heard, I think it was Elizabeth Elliot say, you are commanded, do not be afraid. And I went, because I'm like, oh boy. I knew what that meant, and that's when I started saying, God, I am afraid, and I need your help, and I'm crying out, you got to help me, God. So anxiety, fear, worry, what is it? How would you guys define it? I mean, it's a good thing if we talk about something, we ought to know again, you know, we try to clue in on what rejoicing feels like. What, what's anxiety? This is the open classroom part. Trying to do things without Christ, worry. Okay, so what, what, what is worry, fear? I'm just saying, what, what is the feeling? What's happening? I, I think you were saying what's happening spiritually. What's that? Uncertainty. Not relying on God. What did you, what did you say, Mike? Losing control. So there's turmoil. You know, your, your mind is moving. It's, it, it's doing things. Your body is actually responding to it, too. What does it feel like? It, may, it, may, it has all kinds of, you lash out. It has all kinds of effects, too, right? So, and I think it's like, because the funny thing was, I was, I was actually decent way along in my Christian, not decent way along, but I was a Christian for, for at least a few years. I, I became a Christian like around 23, somewhere in there, early 20s. And I still didn't really know what it, really know what it was. Like, like when I was a kid growing up, all I knew was I was uncomfortable and I didn't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, like go to this group. Like, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? But that was the anxiety telling me, don't do that. Because, you know, the fear of man, right? What are people going to think? I, I want them to think I'm good or something like that. We're, we're too worried about that, right? Don't worry, since I'm the teacher, I work a little more, we'll go into it more. Anxiety, fear, worry. A little defining. Distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. For most of us, it's that misfortune or lack, you know, what people think about us. Lack of peace. For Christians, anxiety often disrupts our joy and deprives us of peace and courage. Anxiety makes us timid and slows us down. Anxiety adds a dullness to life. There's one for you. It's just my own experience. All of a sudden, I'm just worried and I'm deader. I'm dull. I'm gloomy. Anxiety is a sinful state of the heart and mind that causes interference in our God awareness and interaction with God. There's low-grade simmering anxiety. Yeah, that's kind of just like under the surface, but it's present. And then it, that rises like the tide. All of a sudden, it's building and building and building. There's tidal wave anxiety. Actually, just sitting at dinner, all of a sudden, a, a small wave just hit me. We were just sitting there eating because of teaching tonight. Just hit me. Small wave. And then there's paralyzing anxiety. It's like, no way. I ain't doing that. I can't, I can't, this takes over. Now let me make a distinction here. Concern versus anxiety or worry. You know, so we're talking, we're talking about a sinful thing, right? So it's good if we're going to 
we got to balance this out. So there is what I would say, there's a word I would use is concern. It is okay and right to be concerned, let's say for your family's salvation, right? There's okay to be concerned that you do a good job at work. Uh, you're concerned for somebody's health as they just went into the hospital. You see that? But when that climbs to the point that it causes you to enter the area of some other sort of sin, in other words, now your joy is dropping, now you're angry and snappy, now you're a coward, your courage isn't there, then we're getting up into anxiety that needs to be dealt with, you know, with the Lord. And there's also legitimate good anxiety. Let, let me make one reference here. You know, Paul did say when he was among with one Christians that he had, that he w was among them in fear and trembling. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to that. So just what I don't want is sometimes in any teaching, I've noticed this even in a lot of Christian truths, is that if there's a Christian truth that may be given as a firm thing, if someone can think of one little angle that there's a nuance of truth to add to that, it starts to deconstruct the main truth that's still true. Do you ever notice your mind doing that going, yeah, well, you, you just kind of all of a sudden start dispelling things. So I, I just don't want that to happen here. Um, and here's a good, a good anxiety and fear. I mean, it's an emotion. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, fear when you are doing something foolish. You should fear. Fear when you're disobeying. You should fear. If you're walking along the edge of a cliff, I'd fear a little bit and be careful, right? So just want you to know that anytime you see or feel this thing, that it needs, it needs to be check and see what it is. Okay, so here's another question for you guys. What are some common things that create fear and anxiety in us? We've already talked about some of them. Common, American people. Wait, oh, bingo. Whew. I, got to, I would tell you a story about my earlier. Huh. But judgment, you said, right? Did you mean others judging you? Yeah. So, so big one. That's what Chris would bring up, bang, right away. What? You know, and you ever notice whenever you're going somewhere, always walking in is the hardest thing? It's because of those, all those first looks, right? And, and, and like you're working out, the, the judgment that's there. Um, so that, I mean, it comes into the category of fear of man. Uh, do, do, am I saying, like, don't ever worry about what you look like? I'm not saying that because we want to present ourselves as uh, culturally, uh, how do I say this, um, culturally just kept, you know, well kept. But as far as, like, the value that our culture has put on the way people look, it, Women especially, probably, uh, it's just way out, of, way out of line, you know. Uh, it's like Kyle shared that example of, you know, young girls are way ahead of young boys with the transitioning because they can't deal. It's an easier way to deal with themselves than with their looks the way they are. I'll just be a boy because I can't deal with this. 
That's sad. But this, this is where the God of peace comes in. This is turmoil inside of us. But here it is. So here, let me rattle through some typical American cultural dealings with anxiety that we find. Um, uh, this, this one's called the Invictus Approach. Does anybody recognize that name, Invictus? Any readers here? Anybody know what that is? That's a poem, famous poem. I'll bet you Ed knew this. No? I think it's a British poem. Anyway, the last stanza in it, you'll recognize this line. It shows up in movies sometimes. The last stanza in it says, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. You see? And that's a real American thing. That's like, it's up to you. I am in control. I can do it. You can control the variables that make you anxious through ingenuity, hard work, and persistence. Just keep going. Do you know what the Bible says? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, we were never made to accomplish anything without the help of God. He isn't winding us up like we raise our children so we can turn them loose from us. We're always made to image him with him working through us in the spirit. That's where we get life from. The breath of life. He is so much God. Why would we ever want to pull away from that? Man. Oh, man. Ah, the Bobby McFerrin approach. Can anybody guess about that one? Yes. Don't worry. Be happy. It's a, it temporarily lifts the heart to hum this little song, but it is a hollow hope. No substance or staying power. Other temporary shallow fixes, we turn to all these things. Stress eating, phone scrolling, binge watching, complaining, misuse of alcohol, avoiding toxic people who spread fear, prescription medication. Let me talk about this for a quick minute. I am not talking about clinical anxiety where there is a gland problem and your chemical balance is so off that you have a, almost a tidal wave of anxiety at all times, regardless of your situation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we mostly experience. And then the old self-talk psychology, the Oprah-ish type thing, but there's no God attached to it. It's just taking the principles and flipping them around and changing your mind, you know. The Christian approach to anxiety but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There you go, Christian. That's the road you start down, the first road you start down every time anxiety rolls in. Start to talk to your father. He's your father. He loves you. He has the power. To help you. This phrase supplication and thanksgiving, both those mentions there. Supplication literally means it's a humble requesting. And the thanksgiving, both of those are designed for us to show, to put those in this discussion with God when we pray and talk to him. It, they're not demands. We are humbly and thankfully asking. We don't deserve them. But he overflows and loves to give them. Loves to give them. That's why we go to him. 
Next point. You ever been, watch a kid, I remember actually this as a kid too. You ever watch a kid learning to dive? You know how they go to the edge of the pool and you go like this. And then they jump in and it's really hard to get the old head going down first. And you watch them over and over again and then they're just shivering there. and Ah, I can't do it, right? And you say, oh, come on, don't be afraid. Oh, I'm not afraid. They say, right? Any any bit of a challenge around kids, oh, you're afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Okay, Christian, the first thing about your fear is admit it. Admit it. I don't care if you're scared of a moth. Admit it. just, Just admit it. Here's one from Tim Keller for everybody that was asking, wondering when he was coming up. Yeah, he's, he's helped me a lot. The only character flaws that can destroy us are the ones we don't admit. Admit it, sinner. It's just a beautiful place. It's humble. Just admit it. I am afraid. Typically, I've actually learned this in, in all of my sins. I, I've started to try to judge myself and I could be an aggravated person, could be just doomies, gloomy or self, uh, who knows, just whatever it is. If I'm driving down the, go, uh, down the road and I go, you know, you're not very joyful right now, I just go, huh, I wonder why. <laughs> and I start to talk to God, and I say, God, something's wrong with me. I'm th- I'm, something's wrong with me. I'm just off. I need, I need help, you know. It's that way. And man, he is, remember, he's right there. He's right there. It's a beautiful thing. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whoa. Peace of God. You guys probably all know that story where... Uh, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and it says it was evening, so I'm even thinking it's dark, right? And they're going out on whatever sea or whatever that is, and all of a sudden it starts howling. The wind's blowing, and the waves are coming over, and these guys know. They know when you start getting water in the boat, that's what it says, there's water in the boat. And, and, And anybody here that has been on a boat that starts getting water in it, that's when the stability starts going off. And, and you're like, you, you know you can't keep up with that, and it's not going to slow down. So these guys are scared. And I've got to tell you, I'd be scared too. And then you add on top of it, it's dark. Have you guys ever been out in the ocean when it's blowing around and it's dark? You can't see them coming. You just, whoa, the boat just moves, and you're just, and you're just, look, you're just looking out into this darkness. And usually when it's windy like this, it's cloudy too. So there's no sun or moon it's just, you're looking out, and you just see black. I mean, this is scary. I don't blame them, really, these guys, you know? So they come back and wake up Jesus, and what does he do? do you, does anybody remember what he said to this storm of turmoil that is happening all around them? What did he say? Who, who said that? Paul, did he say it? Oh, I, I, peace, be still. And for miles and miles and miles, the wind drops out immediately. The sea goes absolutely calm. And you know when there's any ripples in the sea that they just keep rolling usually for a while. It won't drop out like that, but it says it was flat calm. 
when he said that. That's what he can do for your soul. When you're anxious, he says, be calm, peace. Put peace in your heart right here. That's the peace of God that surpasses our comprehension. Remember what the disciples said? They're like, well, who the heck is this who can speak like that? Who is this? Well, he's God. I remember when I was first. Oh, yeah, we're good. I remember when I was first saved. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to describe this, but I was coming to a number of church services. Um, and, and the way I, we, you know, Chris and I were saved was obviously miraculous in that way too but it was it was I don't want to go into the long story but I remember we had just moved into this building and we, we had started in the other one but then we were sitting back over here usually and it didn't really I got to get this out it you know the, the facts and the, and the and the facts from the scriptures were coming you know being preached and it, it was it was all good but there was something else happening to me you know um, unrelated almost to what was being said, but it was God himself almost pushing himself into me. And I remember a few times leaving and not being able to speak real well or not wanting to. I, not, not that I was angry or grumpy or anything. Uh, quite the opposite. I just, But walking out in the parking lot, I remember walking back, and then this thought kept coming to my mind, I think, as he was pushing it into my mind was, um, shoot, uh, everything is going to be all right. And that was peace. Yeah, it was sweet. Okay. Uh, we'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, that word guard there is a military term. This, this is the ongoing nature of this now, too, for us. So it's a military term. And um, in other words, it would be used, that word guard, of like a military guard that is protecting a city or a king. Um, and then, you know, that guard would give the people inside peace, you know, or give the king peace that he's being guarded. And it's just an ongoing thing that, that God has a hold of our hearts, you know, as we have this relationship with him. And li listen to these song lyrics here um, about this guarding presence of Jesus. Uh, and some of you will recognize the song, I'm sure. It's kind of an old one. I think it was a Gaither song. I hate to even mention that. <laughs> it, it really dates you. Well, plus, before I was a Christian, let me tell a quick story. This is not related here. But before I was a Christian... I remember I had this, you know, my mom would try to make us go to church, but I had this friend, and his mom would make him go to church too. And, and then his mom and his dad, you know, they, they were all like, oh, we're going to go see the Gaithers. We're going to go see the Gaithers. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, gosh, <laughs> whoever that is, I didn't, yeah, that's how, that's how bad I was. I was, I was like anti pretty much. Um, 
Okay, so here's the lyrics of the song. Now, this is a beautiful, actually, this is one of the songs I, I, I hum uh, at night or, or sing in my head. Um, so it, it says this, and because, listen, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. That's crazy. Okay, a peaceful, well-focused heart and mind. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Actually, a quick note right here. Paul, in his writing, he's actually making what's called a couplet, and he is combining this think on these things with um, Paul when he says practice these things. So it's like ponder these things and practice these things. Okay. So, and in the Greco-Roman world, this would have been a, a, a virtue catalog. Remember last time I taught, actually, I had a vice catalog. So that was common in their society. They would actually try to catalog this. Three of these terms never, I can't talk about every term, but three of these terms never show up in the Bible. They're actually from the Greco-Roman world and culture. And Paul's doing that on purpose, okay? Because what, what he wants to do is, and actually the word whatever, 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 Paul is doing that on purpose, too, because he wants them to not just think that all things that are honorable, just, pure, true, commendable are in the church. God also left enough glory in the world and enough good out there and gifts among people that we can admire them and think on what they've done because we use a Christian filter. We know where they got the gifts from. Okay, we know, we know, we know what has made nature beautiful in what it is. Okay, so he, he's opening that all up to everything. I think it's helpful, uh, this text too, and because uh, this is the second time I'm bringing it up here, in what I would call uh, filtering politics. You know, we have to be able to discern what is being said and with what heart it's being said and be very careful on what rhetoric and heart we grab onto in in these discussions you know i remember when in recent times um you know with president trump and and you know both sides now president biden my heart and mind were confused you know i really didn't know how to handle um some of the things i was hearing um I don't want to be specific and start a political conversation, but my main point is this, is that my heart wasn't settled. It wasn't peaceful with all of these things, but I did begin to ask God. I just said, God, will you help me understand this? Will you? I, I don't know. And over the months and months and months and months, I can say that I have a good peace about all these things. Okay. Other things along this line. I have to mention this. Um, just to be aware as a Christian is 
as, as he definitely is pointing out our mind, and then, you know, the scripture also says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. And that means your life. So we need to definitely be discerning with the books we read, the movies we watch, the TV um, we watch, the music we listen to, all of that, okay? And let me just tell you this. The, the interesting thing is, when you're usually part of a culture, what you, you would consider yourself as the major cultural group, I remember, so let me use Tim Keller one time, he said he had a black friend to him, and, and, and the black friend said to him, he says, you know, the funny thing, Tim, is you middle-class white people, you think you don't have a culture. And Tim's like, yeah, we got a culture. Y- y- you see, your culture is so normal to you, you just think you're part of it. But you have one. You have a way. You have certain values, things you value, and things you value less. You have a certain way you think about things. And it's been shaped by your majority group. I don't want to get too much into politics, but I just, want to show, just wanted to show you that, you know, and actually Tim Keller's the most thoughtful, one of the most thoughtful pastors I've ever seen about such issues. And, and you know, and, and this black friend was <laughs> trying to tell him, you know. Um, and, and, and let me, let me just tell you this. It's like, I, I, actually, we had this de- we've had this debate for a long time, my friend Ed and I. That wasn't a debate, uh, uh, discussion. Let me put it that way. Because he's, he's never going to say, I know, you were right. He, never, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. Um, but d- during, during this, some of this melee that was happening, he's going he's to laugh. Uh, during some of this melee that was happening last election cycle and, and these things, is, and, and concerning probably um, gender and all those issues, uh, Disney put out a notice. Now, I remember, I went, bam, there it is right there. Disney put out a notice and said that they were going to have to ramp up their culture-shaping mechanisms. Now, that flat out just says it. They have an agenda. There's more than just entertainment for the kid. They want to shape how they think, what they value, what is right, what is wrong in their own way. It just goes to show you it is there. And just, that's all I'm just saying that, is that as we guard our minds, know that, that, that there is shaping. Shaping is happening. Okay. And Paul says, practice these things. And then here's the grand promise at the end, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the end, guys. Good news, right? The God of peace will be with you. Coming through all of this, how to live like a believer. And remember what we said in the beginning, what it, that was knowing God surpasses worth of knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of everything is knowing him. Well, here it is. He's with us. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the prince of peace. God the Son left a completely peaceful, calm, beautiful existence with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit where all three continually delighted in and loved on and marveled at one another to become one of us and drop into the very unpeaceful, full of turmoil, full of hate, twisted and distorted human race, all so that he could go to the cross 
And instead of receiving peace, Jesus received the Father's wrath and abandonment and cried out, Why have you forsaken me? And his soul felt the full weight of turmoil, fear, and unrest, all so that you and I would never, ever have to feel that from God. But instead, you would feel his peace and rest and joy as he delights in you and you in him now and forever. That's better than a Disney end. You know, when they say, and they lived happily ever after, this is the only real happily ever after. Those are make-believe, and they're never on this earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done to open up this relationship that we would know you. Help us. We need you. We need you to walk with us and talk with us. We need you to give us self-control. We need you to open the eyes of our heart. We need you to give us spiritual wisdom and revelation that we would know and be so covered and infatuated with you that we cannot get you out of our minds. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.